Welcome to another episode of Grab The Trace, a home design podcast to help you deliver your next project to its full potential. We're your hosts, Michaela and Lachlan, and if you're looking for some tips and secrets for your next project, be it building a new home, renovating, or even just picking what window furnishing would best suit your space, we have you covered. So stick around, pull up your plans, and let's grab the trace. We have a bit of a different episode this week. I'm actually just sitting here by myself. I was trying to think of what we would actually do this week and I came across the idea that maybe it would be a good opportunity to run you through my first renovation, something that I know quite well. I'll talk about everything that you would want to hear, cost, time, things I would have done differently and we'll see how that goes for an episode. I'm sure I won't be able to cover everything and there's bound to be questions so maybe we can even touch on it again in a future episode, which I I think would actually be quite a good idea. Before we do so, I actually have the pleasure of reading out some more written reviews that we've had on the the podcast page. The first one, and it's titled Just Great Stuff. This podcast has helped heaps. I'm currently looking at existing homes as a first home buyer, and the ideas and tips that they discuss are immensely helpful in visualizing potential renovations when trying to decide on which properties we should make offers on. That's very nice. Thank you very much for that one. I'm glad you're you're getting some kind of value out of it. The other one we've got is titled Grab the Inspo. Interesting and useful podcast to help you with making your home design and renovation decisions. Lachlan and Michaela are engaging and informed professionals who have great insider tips to help guide you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for those. As we've been saying the last couple of episodes, Leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or even on our Facebook page, you have the ability to do that. Leaving five-star reviews, written reviews, those are the best ways to help grow the show and help us kind of spread awareness about the show. Sharing the show, that's another huge one in terms of actually bringing new people to the show or even just sharing it with people that you think would get benefit from it. Those are the best ways to kind of help us help you if that makes sense because the more people we reach the more resources we can kind of put behind the show and the the kind of faster we can grow this and and just keep going as we've been going which would be amazing it's crazy how far we've come in the last couple of months alone we started the podcast i think in the middle of august and we're now at the end of december of the same year and it's beyond what i would have expected so why stop now let's just keep going while i'm just sitting here by myself I thought it's still worth kind of running you through an inspiration gram and home hack this week. So for my inspiration gram, I have quite a few bookmarked projects on my my internet browser that I, I just kind of keep hidden away either for a bit of inspiration myself when I'm designing things or if I want to share it with friends and family. So this one this week is a project called Marine by David Barr Architects. Once again, like all of our other projects, the the images are the best way for us to kind of convey the qualities and what we love about this home. But I'll basically, the reason I've picked this one is it has such a carefully curated and refined material palette where I guess the the main elements that I can see, there's only four. So instead of having an endless expanse of different materials and different elements going on, this one's just really honed it down to four. Just from the material side of view, there's a a few kind of bits and pieces going on with the form as well that they've given themselves the freedom to do that by just focusing a smaller palette than you might see in other projects. So 
your main features here is there's just out the front on your front facade, there's just this unreal stack stone wall, just beautiful bliss. Then going behind that, it's almost like it's been set up in layers or tiers, I guess. Formed concrete for a, a planter box on an upper balcony. There's these beautiful lime plastery rendered white walls. And then your kind of final layer to the piece is these, I think it's a, a cedar timber cladding that's been used. And it's just stunning. It's been used for cladding externally as well as internally. Some of the joinery in terms of doors and windows. And then when you go inside, that same kind of formed concrete forms the floor finishes and... It's just such a beautiful, and I, I think the the main thing I'm trying to get across here is when I'm saying these things are beautiful, I'm looking at them and they're just visually, they calm me or they're, they're calming to look at, I should say, because the ideas are so, so refined and so well tested that it almost looks like that could have been the only option that they could have gone for when designing these spaces and all the little moments within but the amount of testing and rigor that you would have had to go through to get to that stage to have it work so well, that's the the key. That's what really does make a, a good designer or a, an excellent home design shine. So as I said, the project is called Marine. The architects responsible for it are David Barr Architects, built by builders called Perth Builders. I'll upload some photos of this earlier this week so you can all have a look through and just kind of cast your eyes over it's just stunning I've had this save for quite a while and just another example of even in an Australian context that new homes can be designed and the ways that you can achieve things like even going on from our kitchen episodes last week we've got a an island within a, a wall of cabinetry off to the side almost forming like an L with an island just stunning just beautiful full height kind of appliance wall with it looks like there's an integrated fridge and then a pantry and then an oven stack so as I mentioned early this week the the photos for that one will go up what I want to rotate over to now is a bit of a home hack for this week if you're at square one in terms of your home design journey or what you're thinking of doing or what you want to do or say you've got a block of land and you've been looking at display homes My home hack for this week, I just want to throw out there that the Australian government on their Your Home website actually has a couple of free home designs that are available for just anyone to download and use and then kind of take to their designers and customize it and then get it approved by council and then a building certifier so you can get started building. But the really cool feature about these homes, uh, they've all been kind of worked through and they're really, really well considered in terms of their energy ratings, as long as you're able to kind of orient it on your block the same way that it's been intended. Some of these homes are achieving 7.2 to 8 stars in terms of their energy rating, which is an unreal amount of efficiency to achieve in a home. You're, I think I was reading something that if you're able to build one of these homes as per the specification and use double glazing. I think with one of them, you ended up at 8.2 stars, which the difference between having a home that is 8.2 stars compared to a home that is, I think, six stars is the home that is 8.2 stars uses half the amount of energy for heating and cooling compared to a six star home. Now, when we're talking about a six star home, we're talking about a home that is still compliant, a home that is still fairly in the realm of being energy efficient. So then to think if you make a few more tweaks and you're able to get up to something like an 8.2, 
you're using half on top of that again. I think it's a great starting place. Some even, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the floor plans are actually pretty decent as well. Like plenty of flexibility if you need to change things. Beautiful. I mean, a lot of them have that kind of courtyard style design as well that I, I seem to be infatuated with, with the kind of open side of the house with a bit of landscaping that then ties around into the back. Beautiful. And then the the documentation that you can download, it's pretty much all ready to be sent to a builder to have it costed. There's quite resolved details in terms of claddings and on elevation designs. There's set out plans for your partition or your, your stud framing and your, your concrete f- foundations as well. It's It's quite an interesting little thing that I stumbled across this week. So definitely check them out, even if it's just uh, to see what's out there at the moment. Or if you are, as I said at the start of your your journey, why not start with something? Why why start with a blank canvas when you could use something like this, a really solid exemplar to kind of build off and then make your own? Because you're going to be able to pick up things that you might not fully understand or you might not fully appreciate at the time, but the thought and the effort's gone into it at some stage. So you you will benefit from that. Now, that's the, I guess, the introduction of the show done. So what are we doing this week? As I mentioned, I just want to kind of give a, I'll say a general overview or rundown of my first renovation that I kind of designed and built myself with the help of quite a lot of people. I'm definitely not the the sole person responsible for the end result, but this was kind of my first chance at really being the guy, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, that this is my my chance to shine. This is my chance to be project lead, kind of in terms of project managing and then the one actually building and installing things and getting my hands dirty as well as problem solving and all these other aspects. So I've broken it down into a few categories. Let's start with my first one, which is the what, the, sorry, I've already stuffed it up. The why, the what, and the where. So for the why, at the start of 20, oh gee, when was that? 2020, before coronavirus became a thing, my wife and I had been talking about the idea of potentially buying somewhere and doing this kind of renovation because I'd run out of things to do around the home. I'd already laid a floating floor over our tiles. I'd, <laughs> I'd built new wardrobes in our, our master walk-in robe, things that we, when we were doing the first home build, we didn't have the money to go and do then and there, but we've been able to complete down the line. So I'd accumulated pretty much all the tools I would need because it's, I guess it almost became a bit of a hobby in terms of building and doing some of these handiwork things. So I'd accumulated all the tools I thought I would need at the time. I was very wrong at on that in terms of how much more I needed to spend on tools later down the line, but I wanted to do that. I wanted to take it on as my next challenge or hobby to get a better idea of what actually goes into what I do every day during the week as a living as an architect. So I wanted to kind of have that connection between what we draw on paper or what we're kind of plugging into the computer with our CAD programs and then physically how does that come to fruition. I wanted to develop some kind of practical skills and continue to evolve the the problem solving aspect of architecture and design that is probably the the main thing that I'm drawn to. I love to design in architecture, but the the main thing that draws me to it and the main thing that drew me to it at the beginning when I kind of was looking into what I could do going into university was the problem solving side of it. I've just, I've always enjoyed the the feeling of having a problem that is really kind of, no matter if it's easy or difficult to figure out, but then going through the process to end up with that result 
And then the fact that with creative fields like architecture and other kind of areas where you're doing problem solving, there's not just one solution. So it's either trying to find the most optimal solution overall, or it's trying to find the best solution with the time and the resources that you have. So that's that's the real reason why I wanted to, I guess, take on this challenge was I wanted to develop that side of my, I guess, my my skill set, keep pushing myself in terms of that and just go to that next level, which in hindsight, I think I've definitely done and I've, I've definitely got more of an appreciation for it. We, um, we spent a solid six months kind of gearing up and trying to figure out what that would look like. We talked to the bank. We went through NAB for it in terms of getting an initial idea of what price range we would be looking at comfortably and what impact that would have on our day-to-day lives. So say when we were doing the renovation and there wasn't someone renting the property, how much of a financial impact would that be for us to pay two mortgages at once without any of the income coming in to offset that? That was what went on during those six months. So I think about by August of that year, so well and truly into the swing of the the pandemic, we were ready to look at properties. And I think timing-wise, we struck it pretty well because it was that area where I don't think the market had quite picked up in terms of the kind of scarcity we're seeing in recent weeks and months here in Brisbane and I guess across Australia as well. But we knew we wanted an older home, something with a bit of a bit of character, I guess. When we were looking around, we were we had a few areas that we were pretty comfortable looking at in terms of we we knew the areas. So we ended up settling on a property over in Ipswich, which is west of Brisbane in Queensland, Australia, for those who might be international or interstate. The the main things we were looking at with that in terms of the property was making sure that the particular block or the particular home that we bought wasn't going to be affected by floods because there's quite a decent portion of Ipswich that is affected by flooding because of the the Bremer River that runs through there. And when it really rains, it really picks up. It was quite heavily affected, I think, in the 2011 floods. So that was one of the criteria we had. The other one was making sure that we weren't buying something that needed too much. So with the property we ended up buying, which was an 1880s worker cottage, so we can definitely say we ticked the character aspect of it. Some of the things that I made sure that it did have during the due diligence process was making sure it was flood-free block. So the land itself hadn't been affected by flood, but then I guess as icing on the cake, the home was up on stumps. So it was about a metre up off the ground and there was an undercroft under the house, which actually came in handy later down the line when it came to doing some of these things for the renovation in terms of new plumbing and electrical. That box was ticked. And then even those stumps, the perimeter ones were all still, I guess, the concrete ones that would have been there from ages ago when it was lifted. But all the internal stumps underneath had actually been redone and changed to adjustable metal posts at some point in the last, say, 10, 15 years. So that was a big win for us. It meant that someone had gone through the the kind of process of getting all that sorted. And then in the future, if the land moves or settles or whatever, we can go in and adjust those to to make sure that the house is still sitting nice and level. So that was ticked. And then the other thing that was a bit of a benefit was that the roof had been replaced in the last, say, 10 years or so as well. Kind of knowing that we were safe underneath the house and above the house was, I guess, good enough for me to feel confident with pulling the trigger on it. I think that's it for the, the why, the what and the where. So let's move on now to the project brief 
the initial budget and <laughs> one of the more enjoyable things I'll talk about in terms of the the timeline. So in hindsight, the home was actually pretty poor condition. We did a, we did an in initial inspection when we were going to have a look at the property and we definitely had rose tinted glasses on it because we'd been been to see about three or four other properties beforehand that same day and they were worse for different reasons. One of the properties we saw, I remember, um, the house next door was on stumps, but it would have been like probably about six meters above the ground. And I was so confused why I thought, oh, they might be raising it and then they're going to build in underneath and have a three-story house. And it was only when we walked in that the real estate agent had mentioned that he failed to disclose on the listing or to me in any communication beforehand that the house had been flood affected in 2011 to the point where I think the water came up to about, say, my shoulder height. So 1.6, 1.7 meters or 1.6 meters. I'm not that tall. I just looked and I understand why the house next door is so high. So there was that one. There was another one we went and had a look at where even though they had raised the building, it was still too low compared to the previous flood levels. So the risk of them doing all this work and then us going in and doing a few more things. But then if there was a flood, it still wasn't 100% certain of being okay. That kind of put us off there as well. So we kind of rocked up here a bit exhausted after going through some of these other ones and everything just seemed okay. It wasn't flood affected. I'd already done some initial searches on it. There was tenants in there. They were an older couple, so that was fine. And they'd been tenants for like three or so years. So that was great. The house was fairly clean. But the, the main thing I remember walking in there was just the smell of bleach. And it was because I think the the older lady who was living there at the time, they'd been doing inspections on it because it'd been up on the market for a while. So she must have cleaned it then and there or like that morning of. So everything just kind of smelled like bleach, which was fine. It was great. But I remember when we walked in on the first day after they'd moved out and it stunk. It absolutely stunk. There was just, yeah, that took a lot of cleaning to fix. But as I was saying, so we kind of walked in with rose tinted glasses. We kind of smiled and nodded while the tenants kind of just watched us walk around which was a little bit off-putting and we couldn't go into some of the rooms because they had their son living with them who was asleep in one of the rooms, even though it was like two in the afternoon. So we kind of looked at it and then we went out and kind of drove away and we had a thought about it and we were, we were in a position where we, we can take a, a risk on this. The bones look to be good enough. So we kind of went through the process of putting an offer in subject to building and pest inspection and subject to finance, just in case the bank had a look at it and kind of said, oh, we can't lend you anywhere near as much money as you need for it. Went through that process and then went back in after we settled. And that time I was prepared. We, we went in during the week. So it wasn't a weekend. So I think their son was just out of the house at the moment. So we were able to go into all the rooms. And that was kind of the first point where we were like, oh, maybe this is a little bit more than we thought because we kind of had access to everything and they hadn't mopped that morning. So it wasn't as much of a bleach smell. We, we went in there. I bought a 360 degree camera. So that way I could take photos of everything. And then I took even a, a laser measurer and I'd kind of roughly mapped out what the floor plan was because there wasn't one online with the real estate listing. So I drew all that up so that I could go back and start drafting and formulating my plans. But the main tip I want to give here is with the 360 degree camera, when you're going somewhere to measure up something and you don't have access to it, I guess, every day. And this is the main issue with not having the place you're doing your renovation as your primary place of residence is you're having to try and remember things. So the 360 degree camera, I would just set that up in the middle of the room, take the photo, and then I'd have pretty much the whole room 
of detail. Issues I've run into previously when I go and measure up things and take photos with my camera on my, my phone, sorry, take photos on my phone is there's always something. You think you have enough photos, but it's never enough. What's happening on the the detail where the ceiling meets, the walls? What's happening at the cornicing? What's the skirting board like doing roughly height-wise? Is there skirting board on some of these things? The 360-degree camera just gave me the ability to go and just check all those things while I was modeling it all up. So that's a key. If you can get them, I think I actually ended up buying it online from a cash converters for about a hundred bucks. It's one of the Samsung gear cameras. Definitely worth an investment there. Doesn't need to be too fancy, but it just compared to even taking like a panorama on your phone, it just keeps everything in a rough fisheye perspective. So when you're zooming in on things, it looks all right, but then you've got the ability to kind of go out and get that whole room view. So definitely worth doing that. After we took all these measurements and had a look and we were like, okay, maybe there's a little bit more work involved. We went away and crunched some numbers and came up with a few things while I was setting up the the floor plans and how we would be going about giving this, this home a second lease on life. In terms of what our motivation or our brief was, it was looking pretty tired, the home, both internally and externally. The external was a mishmash of three or four different paint colors I remember even on one of the side elevations, you could see where someone had tried to paint the exterior previously. I think there was like a creamy yellow color that had tried to been repainted white at one stage, but you could tell how at a certain point they couldn't reach the peaks of the roof forms from their ladder. So they just stopped about maybe a meter and a half away from the roof. So that was that's a, always a good thing. But even that, the, the amount of paint that was chipping and flaking that we knew we were going to have to get in, put in the hard work to scrape it all out. Just things like that we needed to keep in mind. In terms of refreshing it externally, it was pretty much just a new coat of paint. A few trimmings in terms of planting that was kind of hard up against the house that came up in our building and pest inspection saying that they were a potential termite risk. When I was talking earlier about the home smelling of bleach, I think there must have been a small hole underneath where the laundry was. And when the lady who was living there had mopped, she'd dropped like some, she'd used so much of the water that the water had gone onto the bearers underneath. And because it had bleach in it, it had stained it. So during the building inspection, the guy went under there and thought it was quite severe water damage on all the, the structural members underneath. So that caused us to kind of send him out to go and do a further inspection for another $250. For him to then rock up and say, oh, the water damage isn't there anymore. And then it kind of all clicked into place what it could have been. So that was worth doing. Spending the money on the building and pest, even though most of the building reports will kind of come back with a list of clauses and things that they're not able to check and do. It's still for that peace of mind, even if they pick up something that you've completely overlooked. It's just about having as much information as you can going in. Definitely worth doing. Internally, there was a lot of single skinned walls. So between a bedroom and the living room, it was just one sheet of, actually it wasn't even plasterboard. They were all um, horizontal weatherboards from when it was built in the 1880s. So there wasn't a lot of separation between the living spaces. So one of the things we knew we wanted to do was to wrap up all those single skinned walls and make sure that both sides of the walls had linings just from both a an acoustic point of view, I guess, but then also just to give it something a little bit more. It just seemed a little bare when we were going through and doing all of our, our kind of initial thoughts on the project. Doing that, new paint internally as well. There was that kind of creamy yellow color internally. So it was contributing to this sense of the whole 
internal of the house feeling quite dark and a bit depressing, even though the bedrooms had like 2.9 meter ceilings, the living rooms had 2.5 meter ceilings. We wanted to kind of lighten and brighten everything internally. So a new coat of paint would have been great. Oh, it was the, the intent there. The main thing we wanted to do was to turn it from a two bedroom, one bathroom where the toilet was separated from the bathroom was we wanted to turn it into a fully fledged two bedroom, two bath with a family bath set up with a, a toilet vanity shower bath and then convert a portion of the walk-in robe that was in a, a sunroom that kind of wrapped around what would have been the veranda in a previous life. We wanted to convert that into a master ensuite so that way you could have you could have a family living there, even though it was only a two bedroom. You could have a family living there with a young child potentially or say because it's being a rental, you could have it set up where you're renting it out to two couples or two different adults where they've each got their own bathroom. So that that was kind of important. When we went through it as well, in terms of the design aspect, we were trying to think of how, because we're not going to live in it and we're not going to look after it the way we would kind of ideally want to, we had to make sure the selections and finishes and the design itself was fairly low maintenance and quite resilient to everyday life and wear and tear. If you have a look at the photos that we or that I uploaded onto our Instagram with the before and afters and the existing plan, that's why we kind of steered away from doing glass screens in the bathrooms in the ensuite, purely because the kind of fully tiled walls in the long term should be the better solution just from a maintenance point of view. Also, I'm quite a fan at the moment of the full height tiled wall in a bathroom, a bit more moody, a bit more a bit something else, but maybe that's more me than the maintenance side of things. So drum roll, please. Oh, I think I've even got a drum roll sound effect. Although that might be the ba-dum-tsh. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. So our initial budget after kind of working through everything was about $30,000, give or take. We had locked in the floor plan and the scope of works that we were after. I'd costed everything that I could think of in this master Excel sheet that I might share one day and that I'll kind of be referring to through this episode for some of the costing. So I'd I'd made allowances even down to like fixings for when we were doing the villa board in the bathrooms because that was a complete gut and redo. I'd like quoted how many screws I thought I would need and the cost of those. And I kept track of the, the retail value of those, what I was able to kind of get those down to in terms of whether I had bought during a sale or whether I'd been able to use a connection or buy secondhand, something I put that price down as well. But 30,000 was where I was sitting at in terms of the amount of money that was going to be out of our pocket to complete the works. The next one I'll I'll kind of talk on is the timeline, which is probably the, the one I'm most embarrassed about was when we initially started it all, we honestly thought, and by we, I mean my wife, Caitlin and I, we honestly thought we could knock this over in two months. I had arranged it so that the the lease for the previous tenants ended at the end of March of 2020. That was great timing with COVID because they couldn't find, well, I'll talk about that in a bit, but I'd organized that I was going to take a week and a few days off over the Easter holidays so I could just full-time no life it for the first couple of days just to really kind of break the back of it at the start. Then that was going to lead on to the school holidays where my wife would be able to get in there with her family who are all teachers and do some more work on that. And then we would just do weekends after that because it was about a 50-minute drive from where we live at the moment. So weekends, rock up early in the morning, leave about four or five in the afternoon 
and just do that until it's done. That was what I thought it was going to take. I'll touch on what actually happened and how long it did take at the end. In terms of what happened then, because you can tell in terms of both the how I'm talking about the budget and then the timeline, we didn't hit that goal. We were a fair way off both. The first thing that we did was, and I don't know why I didn't think to do this, was during the building and pest inspection, we should have also had someone go out and do the asbestos test because when we started the works of it, someone had just made an offhand comment to me about, I I don't understand, even though it looked like it was all going to be plasterboard, what ended up happening was in our living room is the prime culprit is above the plasterboard ceiling, it had been fixed to what was an asbestos ceiling. (laughs) So you had a sheet of plasterboard fixed to furring channels or little timber battens. And then above that was the existing asbestos ceiling in like the living room. And that was through all of the living room, all of the dining room, all of the kitchen, the laundries, the bathrooms, the walk-in robes. That immediately caught me off guard. So to go through the process, we ended up paying about $500 for a guy who was absolutely fantastic. Shout out to Mark from um, the asbestos company, but he came out and $500, tested it with a laser and confirmed that what we were looking at was there, there was asbestos pretty much through, say, 70% of the house. Now, we didn't need to do anything to the ceiling of the dining or the living room. So, we just let that sit. We just left that as is because that would have just been more time and cost and money that we didn't need to do just yet. We might do it in the future. We got him to then give us a quote to remove the asbestos in the laundry, bathroom, kitchen, and the walk-in robe. And I originally thought, that it was potentially just going to be because it had lino on the floor. So I was thinking, oh, maybe it's just the the glue they've used. That's the what the asbestos is. And that's where it would be. And we could deal with that then. But it turned out that, no, that was fine. That was just lino just glued to masonite sheets. So that wasn't asbestos. It was everything else that was. So that ended up coming in at about $5,000 total to have all of it taken down, removed. We lost access to the site for a week. So while they were they were kind of doing all that, I guess the advantage of that was we did save a little bit of money in terms of the dumping or the rubbish fees because we were probably going to have to end up getting another skip anyway, which would have been 800 bucks. So I guess in a net position, we were about say $4,200 more than we were planning on just to get the demolition sorted. So that was great. The next one in terms of money that came up was we had this beautiful mango tree in the backyard. And there was a few walnut trees down the the back of the property as well. After talking to the neighbours, they kind of let us in that the the mango tree was the single largest contributor to bats in the area. And that the bats were maybe a couple of weeks away from their yearly cycle of coming back. And that they just absolutely wasn't a great situation. So to kind of say thank you to them being so understanding of all the the kind of early mornings and later afternoons during the renovation, Caitlin and I opted to have the mango tree trimmed down to, I think, about two meters high just to remove all those branches, which, yeah, that was a big effort. And then to remove some of the walnut trees as well, because we'd kind of had some chatterings that there was rats and things like that hanging around, just eating all the things that fell off them. So that was another, what have I got there? That was two and a half thousand dollars to have all of that done that we weren't planning on doing. As a part of the asbestos removal, they had to pretty much rip out the existing kitchen as well that we were hoping we could salvage in one of my initial plans. So that ended up costing us, I think, another two to three thousand dollars to just go to Ikea and get the most basic 
of kitchens and then for me to in, buy all the cabinetry and install it myself and all the other bits and pieces. That was about two to $3,000 we weren't planning on spending. And then the final one was right at the end of the project. We were trying to salvage because underneath all the masonite boards on the floor, there was some beautiful timber hardwood under there. The glue that instead of just nailing the masonite to the timber floorboards, they'd glued it as well. I couldn't remove it. It just took so much time. Like I think in hindsight, we probably lost, lost at least one or two weekends just constantly trying to sand down all this glue and remove it. So we ended up deciding that for the sake of it being both a rental property and knowing that in the future we were going to eventually have a crack at restoring the floorboards, we decided to go through National Tiles and do a floating timber floor over the whole thing, much like I'd done it at home. So I had all the tools for it. I was able to do it myself. And that was about $3,000 we we laid out for that. The advantage of that was we were able to kind of lift the color of the floors from like that. It is quite a nice ready brownie timber f- brush box, I think is the type of floorboard. So we went from like, say 70 mil floorboards in that ready muddy brown color to these beautiful, I think they're like 235 mil wide planks in, I think the colors Mistura Buff. And it's this beautiful, lovely, white, oaky color that really helped after we'd painted all the walls, reflect the light through and lighten the spaces up in both the bedrooms, the walk-in robe, the the kitchen, living, dining, beautiful. So, that, I mean, that ended up costing us, yeah, $3,000 that we weren't planning on spending. So, I think that roughly adds up to about $15,000 or so in terms of money that we weren't planning on outlaying that we ended up doing. In terms of timing, we lost four weeks due to lockdowns where we weren't allowed to leave our local government area, which was another issue with not living in the place that we were renovating or having it be close by within the same local government area. Lost a month to that. The main one that kind of really made us not start off great was the former tenants because of COVID, they didn't move out at the end of their lease. So they ended up living in the property until the end of April without paying rent. Yeah, it was kind of just the most awkward situation that the first day that I'd taken off for work to go and start doing the renovation to get a call saying that they hadn't moved out, they weren't moving out and that they hadn't even bothered to look at another location because they loved living there so much. That was a real big kick in the guts because we gave them, I think you're, you're legally meant to give them two months notice, but we'd given them say four or five months notice and we'd like been on top of it in terms of making sure that they were reminded. And then yeah, just to have them say no was a bit tough. I'll talk about it in a separate episode, but we ended up even because they they kind of just came out with all these things. We ended up fronting the bond for the place they ended up moving to just to get them out because we were losing that much money just by having them not pay rent and us not be able to start the work. So we ended up fronting them the bond for their new place that was like, I don't know, twelve, fourteen hundred dollars. They didn't pay their water bills at the end. It, and it just wasn't worth going through QCAT because like, in QCAT's the Queensland Civil Administration Tribunal, which I think is like how you handle these disputes. Because if we did, the times involved then would have just blown out. To lose three or four weeks, whatever I said, compared to going through that process and potentially losing three months was just not worth it. By them taking that extra time, it meant that I had 
already booked in my annual leave and I wasn't able to use any of it to start the renovation. And by the time we started was after the school holidays had finished. So we lost out pretty much three weeks of at least one person being there full time before we could do anything. Those are the, those are the main turns that we had in terms of why we didn't necessarily hit our original goal, but let's talk some numbers. I'll let me, let me run you through just a few things from this Excel spreadsheet. In terms of just costings for some of these things, like I can give you a rough budget per bedroom that I'd allowed for, and then I can tell you how much we ended up spending there. For the first bedroom in our budget, we had allowed about $1,200. So that included replacing the existing light with down lights, putting in a ceiling fan, replacing the smoke alarm because the legislation changed here in Queensland, putting some VJ cladding on the walls that were single skinned, Roller blinds, putting in some TV points, a mirror, some more power points. So that came to, yeah, $1,193. So $1,193. For our second bedroom, it needed slightly less done to it. It ended up only costing us, I think, about $400 or so. dollars. So that was pretty much the same thing. So downlight, ceiling fan, new power points, a couple of roller blinds on some of the windows and... I don't believe it needed any cladding because it already had all the walls being double skinned on the on its side. So about $400 there. We had a little entryway, which only ended up costing us $190. So that was down lights, a new smoke alarm, new power points, a new light switch, new doorstop. I mean, I even costed those. The living room ended up being about $1,000. And that was mainly due to getting this cladding for the, the VJ for the walls, because rather than doing plasterboard, which would have been cheaper in terms of the material cost, I think by the time that we went through and we did all the finishing to it in terms of sealing the joints and taping it and all that kind of fun stuff, I think we actually would have spent more on it. And the main benefit we got through it was I was able to source these easy craft VJ boards through Bunnings that were 2.7 meters long that came in at $57 a sheet. And the reason I mentioned that as being a bargain was when I was doing my initial feasibilities and kind of research into it, I couldn't find that online. So the closest thing I had to reach the ceiling heights we had was they came in three meter panels, which were $101. By using the 2.7 meter panels and little tricks like higher skirting boards so that way I needed less height in the the VJ panels to get the coverage I needed. We ended up saving nearly half on the VJ cladding that we would have needed. So that was a, a big win there. So in the living room, so VJ cladding, putting in a ceiling fan there as well, just because that living kitchen dining was just naturally ventilated. So we just needed something to push a bit of air around. Dining room was pretty much the same thing. We had at one stage tried to allow for an air conditioner. I think we'd put aside $1,700 for a a supply and install of a split system air conditioner for the kind of living areas of the home. But unfortunately, when we started creeping over budget, that was one of the first things to go. Doesn't mean that it's gone forever. We'll definitely be looking at adding it in the future. And then we can just raise the rent a little bit to, to kind of cover that cost over the long term. Now the laundry. So the laundry, when I'm talking about these wet spaces, this is exclusive of the Tyler and his costs and the plumber and his costs because I just had them as separate items. Same thing with the electrician for the other one. I had I just separated him out as an hourly rate rather than trying to attribute his cost to the, the spaces. So in terms of a material cost, our laundry came in at $2,000 in terms of tiles, wall sheeting, floor sheeting, 
and cabinetry from Ikea. I kind of custom built all the cabinetry and the gable legs for our washer and dryer underbench from Ikea. So $2,000 there. The ensuite, which had a shower, um, toilet, and just a single vanity, that came in at $3,200. One of the main, I guess, cost benefits we came up with was just using the one tile. We were able to order a larger quantity of that. So we got a little bit of a discount in terms of the amount. And because of that as well, it made it simpler for the tiler to be able to do his job because he didn't need to mix and match. He was able to just keep using and cut down on wastage. So 3,200 for the ensuite. For the main bathroom, we came in at 4,400. So compared to the ensuite, that included a freestanding bath, which I think was about six to $700, it's an acrylic one. That also included additional tiling, additional wall sheen, because it was a, a room that was an extra, I think, half a meter longer. And I believe that those were the main differences. For our kitchen, it came in at... 2800 so mainly for the the kitchen it was the the cost of the ikea cabinet tree and the electrical works that we needed to do in there and also we had previously one of the little kick out things for a stove so i framed that off just so that was flush with the other walls and then sheeted that up so we needed to spend a bit of money on vj paneling there as well for the exterior of the house some more things that, that kind of went very quickly. Uh, we got a quote to replace the gutters, which came up during our building and pest inspection for $1,700. I was super keen to have that done, but unfortunately, as I'm same thing with the air conditioning, we went over, we just got to draw the line somewhere. In the future, that'll definitely happen. I believe it was even, so that was the gutters around the whole house, except for the internal box gutter that ran through the middle. And we even got a quote, I think for an extra five or $600 to have like the gutter guard mesh stuff put in to stop leaves from kind of collating in the um, the gutters. So that's actually worth doing, I think. So I'll do that in the future. We had to install and build a fence out the front, which I think came in at about $600, including the hire of a auger from Bunnings, the, the hardware shop near us. We had a an estimate of about 1,500 to 2,000 for the fence along the rear of the property. But once again, we just kind of ran out of time and money there. So in the future, I'll definitely be out there digging a few more holes. We had to buy about $400 worth of weatherboards just to touch up ones that were just completely gone and to fill in some windows that were being moved around or things that needed to be concealed. In terms of, so that, that that's the exterior. Now I'll talk to you. I've got like just this category at the end called extras, which is just everything else. So we ended up spending $650 on internal paint. I think that's roughly about 60 liters of paint. I had different in different types though. So that would have been uh, trim paint, wall paint and ceiling paint. I estimated we went through about 45 liters of external paint. So that was about $500 for our exterior there was a little bit of a paint and color called monument which is like a nice dark color that we use for the the screening under the house and the stumps as well as the gutters and then we just used a color called white on white for all the weatherboards externally so that that came up really well stud framing was one of the one I one of the ones I very heavily underestimated when I went and did my original one I thought I was only going to need say 50 or so linear meters of stud work which would have come in at about two, three hundred dollars, but the amount of wall when we started doing the demolition, the amount of walls that were just kind of thrown together in a way that even I could tell they weren't great for long term. So we ended up spending about fifteen hundred dollars on stud framing. 
or, or timber studs to kind of redo the framing for the ceilings and the walls and all the other little bits and pieces. So that was something we also hadn't planned on. Uh, we hired a skip bin for $800. I'll talk about that more later. I think we could have saved a, a bit of money there and a bit of pain. Uh, we spent a couple of hundred dollars on insulation just between our bathrooms and our living areas just for the noise. With the electrician, so he was a friend of mine who I went to school with. So I actually worked it out with him that we would be able to do it on an hourly rates basis with him where we would just pay him directly for his time and then any materials that he needed. So to redo our whole house, and I'm very aware that this is kind of a, a mate's rates kind of price. I think we came in at about, let me see what that comes to. I think we came in at about two and a half, three grand to have the, have the whole house rewired, new smoke alarms put in, new lights put in, ceiling fans, the whole shebang, which I think is definitely worth it because it's now set the home up for success in the future. And if we need to add things later down the line, it's all kind of ready to go. In terms of plumbing, we did a very similar thing where one of Caitlin's cousins is a plumber. So him and one of the other guys that he works with came out to do the same thing. I think that came to about five grand, I think that looks like roughly in terms of material and time for them to to install two new, I guess, to come and disconnect all the existing plumbing for them to install all the new plumbing and then to do all the fit off and all the testing and stuff. So that that was a fair bit of money, but that was definitely worth it. For the tiling and the waterproofing, I went through a local guy who actually lived around the corner. Shout out Warren. He came in at, what is that? That's $5,900 to do the tiling and the waterproofing for a bathroom, an ensuite and a laundry. I think that was actually quite cheap. All things considered for him and the job that he did, it was a fantastic job. Now, the reason that price was probably lower as well as because I use things like wet area VJ boards instead of tiling um, the entire perimeter of our bathroom. So that saved us. Oh, let me have a guess. So just in terms of like the the tiles alone, that probably would have saved us four or $500. So I'm imagining that would have saved maybe another thousand dollars of him doing all the tiling for that as well. So there's about 1500 bucks we saved there and that wet area VJ, I think only ran us like $400. So yeah, $1,100 net saving there, I guess. Oh, we had to replace all the doors as well. That was a bit painful because they were just, it just wasn't great. So that was, I think that ended up coming in at about $250 to replace all the doors, all the hardware I kind of already attributed to the the bedrooms and the all the rooms previously. So that's that's pretty much it. So what that means is that at the end of the day, off an initial budget of $30,000 and with all the things that I've mentioned previously, we came in at a figure of we came in at a figure of $42,715.62 was the total amount of money that came out of our pocket for it. Now, in terms of the time to cut to the chase, 6 months. It took us 6 months of weekends to be able to complete it. I think that that number is about right for the way we approached it. The major time saves we could have had was outsourcing a lot of the carpentry and a lot of the other work to people to come and do it during the week while we weren't there. That would have rapidly progressed the project, potentially not being as bold with some of the changes we were going to make. I'm smiling now as I'm saying it, not being as bold with some of the changes we were planning on making. That would have saved us a bit of time as well, just kind of easing through it and maybe setting it up in smaller stages for the future. So maybe between tenants in the future, we would go in and redo a bathroom and maybe only take a month to refresh that. 
rather than taking six months in one hit. So, and that was from six months from us getting the keys from the real estate agent after the existing tenants had moved out to us giving the keys back to the real estate agent for them to list it. Now, based on that, I think the holding costs on the home for us. So whilst we weren't getting paid rent during that period, that was about $7,000 for the mortgage because we were paying principal and interest, uh, paying insurance on the, the property as well as water and electricity. Our total cost then, including that, comes to about $50,000 for a six-month period of time. So, that's, I guess that's the, the wrap-up of all the details behind it. As I'm saying, uh, feel free to ask more questions. I've got heaps more little bits of information and snippets I can share. But I just want to wrap it up now in terms of what's next and then what could we have done better or what lessons have we learned from it? Was it a success? If I could start the process again, knowing all of the challenges we would have faced. I think the best case scenario is we maybe would have saved some money. Part of the reason we would have saved some money is I wouldn't have shot on one of the days I shot a, I I bought a nail gun and I was using it and I shot it through a timber stud, but because the timber was so old and it was hardwood, the nail lost. And so it kind of skewed out to the side of the, the stud and then pierced the freshly laid plumbing pipes that we just had put in. So that I had to unfortunately get um, yeah, we had to get the plumbers out to sort that. So that was a bit of a, a, a waste of time and money on my part, but that's an accident. That's fine. Um, I don't think we would have changed the design or the approach of it though. Like maybe we would, would have staged it to do the same amount of work over a longer period of time. But if we'd invested more money into the finishes or increased the scope any further, um, like creating a, a kitchen that it was really flash compared to the bathrooms or the the rest of the home. I think we would have overcapitalized potentially. In the future, I'd love to go and add an extra bedroom onto the back of the house to make it a three bed, two bath. But one of the main things that we're juggling with there is there's a, a stormwater easement that runs through the block at the back. So all that involves is that we'd have to do a, a build over services application and just make sure that the structure sits clear of that easement. So it's not something I'm too concerned about. It's just something I'm not quite ready to look at doing just yet. But if we were to do that, I would imagine that would probably cost, I'd say, between thirty to 40000 I, I I guess. And I imagine that would increase the value of the home a, a fair, fair bit as well in line with the rest of it. And then maybe that would be when we went and kind of touched up the kitchen a little bit more to be, bring it in line with the rest of the, the home. To be fully transparent, when we bought the house, we bought it for $244,000. Originally it was listed for two fifty five, dollars but it had been up for, I think, close to a year because people, I guess, would walk in and see the things I didn't see. So we negotiated it down to $244,000. So then combined with the cost of the renovation and then I guess our stamp duty and conveyancing costs that brings it to, a, let's just work off a figure of $300,000, give or take. I recently organized for the property to be revalued and the bank came in and said, kind of just off a, a curbside perspective of it with the way the property prices are growing and all that kind of stuff without necessarily taking into consideration the internal finish of the home that the new valuation went from say that $240,000, $250,000 mark to about 330000 So there's been an increase in the value of the home of about between like eighty and 90000 So what that does do is that gives Caitlin and I for our efforts over those six months of about $30,000 worth of equity that didn't exist before. 
So not not too bad of an investment on that side. I don't think I would have been able to accumulate that any other way in that period of time. But just based on that, and then I really did enjoy it. Like it's it's one of the the more exciting things I've done recently. And even though it was stressful at different points and I, I really love doing it. So we're 100% going to do it again. It's just trying to find the next property, maybe a little bit closer, maybe something a little bit that needs a little bit less work in terms of the internal side of things. But I can definitely see this becoming something that I do quite frequently is almost like a little side hustle going forward. So I thought to wrap it up, I'd give you some th- final thoughts that I had. The one thing that really did surprise me was the amount of waste that goes hand in hand with renovating. I thought. Rather than getting the one large skip that we did, we, we actually even paid a premium to keep it on site for 10 days so that it would span from the start of one weekend to the end of the next one. I think we would have saved nearly three $300 or so if we'd just gotten two smaller skips, which came out to be the same total volume, but just had them for a weekend at a time instead. Because... I don't know why it didn't cross my mind, but as soon as we left the first weekend, just everyone everyone walking past every man and their dog just threw all their crap in there as well. When they came to collect the skip, it was well and truly above the do not fill line, but there's not much I could do with it because, yeah, people were just throwing all their crap in where if we'd gotten Bunnings near us, they have these like skip bins that are trailers where they drop it off, they come and pick it up. And so we could have kind of wheeled that down the back of the the property so it would be a little bit more secluded I guess and then not killed all the grass out the front and I think from from memory those run about just north of $300 for a four meter cubed trailer where the skip bin we got I think was six or six or eight meters cubed and that was $800 so could have saved a bit of money there which would have been ideal the other main thing was the the real success behind this was using every single contact in our arsenal in terms of my mate Tom from school, the electrician who really helped us out, Caitlin's cousin and his mate who helped us out with the plumbing. We made sure they were paid. Like it wasn't a a favor for a favor kind of thing. But if you have people, even if it's for things like painting, like painting took so long, painting and landscaping, if you can just get, call in favors, like put on a decent spread, put on a lunch and just try and keep the vibe positive, I think you'll you'll have a better time of doing it. The the real thing that I was always aware of was the the excitement and the momentum was almost like a bit of a bell curve where you start really strong, really hard out the gate. And then about halfway through after all the demolitions done, when you start trying to put things back together and it's not quite working, that's when you're at the absolute pit of motivation. That's when you're like, gee, I've really stuffed this up. <laughs> we've ruined it. We're not going to be able to get through this. And it's only as you get to the end when all the wall cladding, uh, or sorry, all the wall lining starts to go on and you start painting things and it starts just getting there. Or when big milestones like the power's back on, the water's back on, you can flush the toilets, you can wash your face, you can wash your hands, like those kind of things. Those are, those are the moments you need to savor. Call your friends in, call your contacts in. If you've got word of mouth friend of a friend who does a trade or something, use use but not abuse them in the sense that that will be how you can get that edge to save money to either make the whole project viable or to give yourself the ability to maybe increase the scope of some things or just different aspects like that to just bring the whole thing up. So do that, call in the favors. The other thing is some of the tools that you need for some of these things are pretty decently expensive. So similar to calling in a favor in terms of skills and knowledge, 
if someone's got a nail gun, like a framing nail gun, hit them up and see if they're willing to lend it to you for a bit. I think I ended up spending 950 bucks on a Hakoki nail gun. It's a beautiful piece of machinery, but I think if I'd been able to borrow that and even just, uh, I don't know, paid for it to be serviced at the end, I would have saved a couple of hundred dollars there. But I'm not too worried about that because we're going to be doing this again in the future and I have uses for that nail gun. It's kind of a more a longer term investment. I'm okay with things like that. If you can borrow tools, if you can borrow, just make the most out of the connections you've got with people or even just look at renting things from Bunnings. Like rather than me going and buying a post hole digger, renting it for that one day for $110, that was well and truly worth the, the money. Be flexible and always keep your initial brief in mind. When we were we we're kind of setting everything up in the, the bathroom, and I found that all the walls were nowhere close to being plumb or straight. In the process of straightening the walls, I went from having a bathroom that was 1640 wide. So just able to fit the bath that we'd selected by the time you had the wall lining and the tiling. It went from 1640 wide to 1580, which was nowhere close to being able to fit. I think I lost 30 mil on one side, 30 mil on the other side, just to straighten these walls up. Being able to think on your feet, we were luckily able to be in a position where because we were going with a wet room design and I kind of planned it coincidentally or intentionally with the the kind of walls, we just rotated everything 90 degrees so that the bath was kind of concealed behind the, used to be the shower screen wall, which actually ended up being a benefit because then the shower ended up being further away from the rest of the bathroom. So you didn't need a screen to stop overspray. So it ended up actually working out better. So being able to be flexible with that and think on your feet and pivot is is a great quality to have. And then even talk to your, your trades, talk to your friends and family or send an email in to us, ask us a question, send us a DM. We're more than happy to help with things like this. There's so many ways to address these problems. And I think that's part of the reason why I love doing this stuff is it's that kind of high stakes problem solving. And it's nowhere close to being high stakes. No one's going to live or die because of this, but If you don't get it right, it'll be something that'll really annoy you for a while, I think. One of the other things, and we were luckily in a position where we had this, was you need, and I'm not, this isn't even a negotiable, you need to have a contingency sum allowed. When professionally I'm working on projects, we usually kind of offer somewhere between 10 and 20% of a project's total value as a contingency sum. And so whether that's they start the project and the the groundwork require more concrete or it's going to require additional piling, that money can just go there. So you don't need to go and scramble for it because you were able to set that aside and have it done. You could be towards the end of the project, all the risk is gone from the start. So you're like, well, you know, we've got this contingency sum, maybe we upspec a few things or alternatively, you just keep that money and you go on a holiday at the end. That's another alternative. For renovations or existing dwellings that you're doing modifications for, I would suggest increasing that threshold to something that you might be more comfortable with. For example, with this project, we nearly we nearly went 50% over our original budget. Realistically, we could have scraped some of it out and ended up in like the 30 to 40% over budget range. There, there's always things that will come up. Not everything is able to go to plan. You're not able to kind of cover all your bases, but just that contingency sum I think it's it's a responsible thing to do. And then at the the best case scenario is you never have to use it. And now that you're at no disadvantage, like maybe the, the worst thing that's happened is instead of that 
that contingency money being in some in shares or kind of a high interest savings account or whatever, you've just had it sitting off to the side, not doing much. And so that's the only cost that you've had from it is the potential loss on earnings from it. But you've given yourself the peace of mind and the security knowing that if something did arise, you're able to kind of pivot and address it with that. Another tip, as I mentioned earlier, if you're buying an older property, one of the most underrated things is using like the spirit level apps on your phones to check if walls are straight. Because like if a wall's only like a little bit out of plumb, that's fine. But I'm talking about walls that were like 30 to 40 mil out of plumb that required some significant reframing to get, because I wasn't even able to straighten them. So all I did was I built new walls inside of the wall, if that makes sense, to I packed out some of these walls with these strips of timber. So I would get my laser level and I would make a datum line and I would measure how far from the plumb level these walls were out. And so I would rip custom strips of packing just to get it flush. Check that because that's something that if I'd had it, the information earlier, I would have made some different decisions for sure. But it's all a part of the fun and games, I guess. Finally, and this is such a life guru thing. So def- you can definitely tell me to get stuffed with this, but just be kind to yourself. It is stressful. It is tiring. But if you're able to have some fun and see the bigger picture of why you're doing this, you'll be able to look back on it more fondly. If you're going through the process, you might as well enjoy it. I guess that's the main takeaway is if you're not enjoying it, your motives might be different. You might be purely doing this as a a money-making exercise to try and get by. But if you can find enjoyment in it, if you can find something in it that gives you that drive, that kind of want to do better, that's key. I think that's a key for me going forward definitely is is keeping that and being mindful of that even when it gets stressful and you're kind of stuck in a hot roof space trying to move things around and it's all kind of getting a it's not quite going to plan is just taking a breath moving through it and kind of addressing things as they come up there's no point in kind of flying off the handle you just got to work through it one thing at a time I guess this is the end of this episode for the podcast I think for the sake of transparency there should be more information like this out in the world in terms of like how much the actual costs were how much time it took like not everything's perfect I I think I see that a lot on Instagram is people are sharing things and it's it's too clinical it's too curated there's got to be a little bit of a little bit of chaos a little bit of honesty with some of these things because if you're not learning from it how can someone else for our next episodes and I know Mikhail's not here and I've written this in kind of a third person-y perspective um, where I'd be talking to her through it. We were lined up to do our kitchen lighting and electrical episode this week, but we're going to move that to the first week of next year because we want to kickstart our Christmas episode. So the next episode that should come out is we're going to do a little Christmas gift guide episode in terms of design and little knickknacks. And even for some of you DIY people out there, like just little things that would be nice little stocking stuffers or marquee present. We're going to do that. Following that, we'll do another Christmas related episode kind of leading up in the week to Christmas. So you've got some time to put that into action for how you might look at designing your Christmas in terms of the setting as you're doing your table setting or whether you're trying to come up with a theme for decorations and things of that nature. We'll give you like a, I don't know, I guess our take on it. I mean, not that it really matters. We're not experts on that. Just something a little bit different, something a little bit fun. Over the new year, what we want to do is we're going to take a little bit of a break, but what we're going to keep putting out is we're going to do a little bit of a before and after series where we're going to take some existing floor plans and then kind of just run you through our process of how you might 
redesign the floor plan for that or how you might address that in terms of this is how we would turn this existing home into this or this is what we would you could potentially do it i mean it's going to be completely devoid of cost and kind of any implications in terms of structural or town planning advice but just for i guess a glimpse into how we think how we process this information what kind of rules we implement on a larger scale rather than just room by room i think that that would be pretty good and then we'll upload the the kind of before and after images of that as well so you can kind of review those while the episodes are playing As I'm saying, I'm hoping I'll be rejoined by my co-captain, Michaela, because we do have some big fun episodes ahead. Thank you very much for listening to me. Hopefully this hasn't been too self-indulgent on my part. Let's get out of here. See you guys. We're at the end of another episode. If you have any questions about what we discussed, reach out to us on either our Instagram at grabthetrace or via our emails at grabthetrace at gmail.com. Following, sharing, leaving a review or rating for the podcast is the best way to help the show. If you do leave a written review, we'll give you a shout out on the show. Our opening and closing music was created by Robert Helberg. And whilst we try to help as much as possible, this podcast is of a general nature and won't be able to take into account your individual circumstance. If you need personalised advice, you should engage a relevant professional consultant to help make the best decision for your situation. 